Doing Ministry Well. Hello and welcome to another episode of Doing Ministry Well. It is uh, 66 degrees here in Honolulu, Hawaii, which is actually pretty cold. I've got socks and a hoodie on this morning, but uh, I'm your host, Jim Baker, and this morning we have the privilege of having Ron Smith with us here. So, Ron, thanks for being on the show. It's nice to be with you, Jim. Um, Ron, you are an author, a teacher, you teach both Bible and Greek, and you're the founder of SBS, uh, which is the School of Biblical Studies with YWAM, and my wife and I have been really blessed by that program. Um, that's the first time we really learned about uh, studying the Bible in context, which, which actually made the Bible fun and more understandable. Um, so yeah, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do? Well... Uh, <clears throat> From the time I was a young believer, about within seven or eight months in, uh, the Lord gave me a real hunger to read the Bible. Mm. And that really is the essence of it. It was a sovereign work of God's grace in my life to give me a hunger to read the Bible. And what happened as I went through my own education, theology, and then, and then uh, Masters of Divinity, I just began to see that not only the average person in the pew, but people in the ministry had a real need to know Scripture. And it was in that that both Judy and I still remember exactly where we were sitting in the, in the cafeteria in Gordon-Conwell Seminary when I, I first verbalized that that was the real thing in my heart, was to see people get into the Bible. And, uh, and really everything came out of that. And uh, it, it, we're just, where we are in the School of Biblical Studies just happens to be the place that God put us to exercise that thing he put on the inside of us to do the Bible. Hmm. So it's been a great run. Been at it for almost 35 years. Wow. And it's hard to believe that we've been doing this for almost 35 years. Uh, started it uh, with a school with eight students in Kona, Hawaii, up behind McDonald's in Kona. And now since uh, that first school with eight students. We've had about uh, a total through the 35 years, about 1,400 schools. Wow. Somewhere around 60 or 70 going at the same time in the world. And um, that's what we do. We <laughs> did the school, you know, we just go through the whole Bible. Right. I, there's nothing, the interesting thing is there's nothing really complicated about what we do. We just mm -hmm. go through the Bible. Yeah. One of the things I said to Lauren Cunningham, the founder and director of Youth of the Mission. Years and years ago, I said, Lauren, one thing that you can be assured of as long as I am running the SBS, and that is that it will always be simple. Hmm. And so that's that really is what we do is simple. Hmm. Somebody asked me one time, what do you do in the SBS? I said, well, we just teach people how to read. Yeah. Right? So. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I, I remember a funny story um, from when you taught in, uh, in the SBS in 2008 in Kona. Uh, that someone tried to kill you once, and uh, yeah, can you? It just yeah. it's just a story that is is just always stuck with me, and so I'd I'd love to hear that again. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Um, what had happened is I was Judy and I were actually at a uh, kind of a, a junior high senior high youth retreat in Korea with American military young people, about three hundred of them. It was a pretty big camp. And so we were invited just to share with this camp. And uh, so I was just happened to be talking. ACDC's new album, Highway to Hell, had come out. Okay. And so I was just talking about 
some of the dangers of various kinds of music, and, and I did, was just talking about that specifically. Not that I was off on ACDC, it was just the whole idea of what we meditate on really influences our life, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking just about some of the really gnarly lyrics and some, some of his music. Well, there was this young young kid that was listening to that and uh, had some real issues mm -hmm. in his life. And so he said he was laying in bed this night, and, and the way we were uh, all sleeping there is each of us were in a cabin with about 10 kids, and I was in a, in a cabin with 10 junior high guys, about eighth grade kids, and I was sleeping in there. And in the middle of the night, we heard this big ruckus going through the camp, and I, I, I overheard the one of the two leaders of the camp saying to the other one as they were running through the camp, "He's coming through the front." And as all of that happened, uh, they, I guess, tackled this this young man, and uh, he had a razor blade in his hand. And uh, he was coming to my cabin, and they asked him what he's going to do. He said, well, the devil told me. And he actually used those words. He said, the devil told me to go slit his throat. Oh, my goodness. And uh, by the grace of God, that didn't happen. So I'm here today, over 30 years later. <laughs> so uh, God had mercy on us. Wow. Wow, wow. Yeah, is there is there another story of someone trying to take your life as well and, and well, your wife inter intervened? Oh yeah, well this is it's the same okay. it's the same camp. And uh wait, you went back there again. Well what happened was <laughs> it was about two days later. Okay. And it was actually the closing meeting in the camp and we were having an altar call. We were calling kids to know the Lord and go to missions and all that. And literally right in the middle of the altar call I was standing in front of the chapel. And, and I was calling kids to stand up and commit themselves to the Lord. As that happened, the same young man that they had caught, you know, oh, running wow. across the camp in yeah. the night, shows up in the back door. He's got an axe in his hand, a big axe in his oh, hand, and he's gosh. standing there. His eyes are glazed the whole bit. I mean, he is from out there. Land. Judy was sitting right there in the back of the chapel, right next to the door where he stood up. And I am in the front, and I'm the only one that can see this kid, right? Because right. everybody's facing me. And um, I'm thinking, okay, he tried to kill me two nights ago. He's probably coming after me again. Right. And so I thought, probably the best thing for me to do would be to exit stage <laughs> right. So literally in the middle of this altar call, I didn't say anything. I didn't say, okay, I'm going to leave the stage now. I just turned and walked off the stage. Well, as that happened... People were kind of looking around, wondering what's happening, and they looked in the back, and there's this kid, you know, with his axe in his hands, his eyes glazed over. Oh, wow. Judy jumps right in front of him, probably only three or four or five feet from him, and begins to rebuke him in the name of Jesus, right? And uh, as she does that, the pastor, who was kind of over the whole chapel on this military base, stands up and begins singing Amazing Grace. And the kid dropped the axe as Judy was rebuking him in the name of Jesus. I was literally standing behind a curtain hiding. No joke. I was behind this curtain hiding. And uh, there was a kid, there was a junior high kid standing next to me behind the curtain, and he was just screaming at the top of his lungs. Ah! And I turned to him, I said, would you shut up? And he wanted to kill you too? And, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of my story. Uh, I remind myself of Claudius when he became uh, emperor of Rome. They, the uh, Roman army found him and took him out from 
behind these curtains and declaring him <laughs> to be king. So uh, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, that is definitely a crazy story. Um, Ron, what would you say the highlight of your ministry has been? If there was one event that you could look at and be like, that was amazing. And I, I know that there's even more amazing things to come, but looking back, what would you say was the highlight of your ministry? Right. Um, uh, actually, I, I guess I would say, um, Probably when God really dealt with me in pride in my life, it, it didn't feel like a highlight. In fact, it felt like a low light in right. my ministry. But I was uh, addressing certain theological aberrant things in our mission, and I was—I had become really angry. Hmm. And um, I was working on a doctorate at the time, and uh, Lord, I was in Fiji, and God just completely collapsed the house on my life as far as pride. And I, I look back on that as probably one of the really crucial focal points that, that, that the Lord did something for me that I think allowed me to really have a lot broader voice to the body of Christ. Not that my attitude changed, nor that I thought that the theology that I was addressing changed, but uh, toward that theology. Uh, but there was a pride that God showed me that was just really ugly. Mm. And and I have a friend that's an intercessor, Judy, and she's like my mother in the Lord. She's prayed for Judy and me for all of our years in the ministry. And she says to me that she believes that if that hadn't happened, that there is no way we could be where mm. we are. Wow. So I guess that'd be a high point. It sure didn't feel like a high point when it happened. Yeah. Uh, but I look back now, and I just really do believe that, uh, yeah, it was really strategic, really mm -hmm. crucial. What uh, what's what's been uh, the biggest struggle in in your time of ministry? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I would say I had three, uh, and all of them were health related. The first mm -hmm. one was that. Uh, when we were in our early 40s, uh, you know, we'd been married forever, and, and uh, Judy got pregnant, and we lost the child. And that was, it's just, it's hard to describe that pain. Yeah. And in fact, when we teach on the, when she teaches on the book of Job, we talk about that, that uh, it's just very difficult to describe that kind of pain. Um Losing Don Gilman, my really close friend, was really a low point. Uh, losing the child was the lowest point, but losing Don was a very great, huge low point for me. And then the other low point was, was being contracted with, with cancer. And all those have been difficult. Now, the interesting thing coming out of all three of these things is that God, I think one of the primary things that God has highlighted for both Judy and me and all of that is the importance of keeping a grateful heart hmm. through all of it. Hmm. And that is, that is, I think, the kind of really important thing that God has taught us in all of this is it doesn't make any difference how bad life gets. It, 
we ought to be thankful. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Judy and I were just talking about this lesson of gratitude that God taught us when we lost a child. Is, I mean, very quickly after that, we felt the Lord really move on us to, to give thanks to Him. And in fact, Judy reminded me yesterday, the day before, that we actually gave a thank offering, actually sent money somewhere as a thank offering. Wow. And uh, so I would say that was probably the lowest time, and it's kind of interesting because as low as it was, God really taught us some cool things out of it. So, but, uh, and, and that's the same with when we lost Dawn and the same with the, with the cancer. Yeah, how's your health doing today? I'm doing super. I got more energy than my students. Wow. There's just no question. And uh, I actually think that I'm probably healthier now than I've been in years and years and years. Wow. I, I do know that I have more energy than I've had in years. And um, so I'm thankful. I've actually thought there is just no way I'm going to be dying anytime soon. <laughs> so that's a question. Cool that is good to yeah, if you had to share uh, just three practical words of advice for people in ministry on how they can do it well, uh, what would what would those three things yeah. be? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I would say the first one is that there has to be a willingness in people to to uh, give things up. Um, Derek Prince, uh, old British preacher, has a an MP3 presentation on the web titled The Grace of Yielding. It's a two-part MP3. And I would say that that is probably the most crucial thing, at least to date, that I feel God has taught me uh, about the ministry, is that, that we have got to be able to hold things with an open hand mm -hmm. and, to, and to yield and to let people... Uh, take things and step in our way and, and to give things up. We've got to be willing to give things up. Um, when you look at the way Abraham grew in his life, every time God asked Abraham to take a new step of faith, it meant Abraham had to give something up. Mm -hmm. When God called him, he told him to leave, leave his land, his kindred, his everything, everything he knew in chapter 12 of Genesis. Then he had to give up the promised land in, in chapter 13. Then he had to give up Hagar and Ishmael. Then he had to give up Isaac. Then he had to give up Sarah. And then in Genesis 25, it says he gave everything he had. I mean, he literally gave everything he had to Isaac. And um, and that was while he was still alive, right? And so I would say if there is a key that the Lord has taught me in the ministry, it would be that, that mm -hmm. we've got to be willing to give things up. And... Uh, I have listened to that MP3 series of Derek Prince's, those, those two presentations. Literally, I've listened to it somewhere between, I don't want to over or understate it, somewhere between 15 and 100 times. Wow. Probably, just that, it's crazy. It's almost like this cultic thing, you know, like this guy's brainwash. But it is so crucial that I, I just, for me, it, it, is, it is really huge. Mm. So that would be one. Uh, the other one I would say is uh, the importance of cultivating the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. One of the reasons I fell in love with Judy, and one of the reasons I went to the seminary I went to, and one of the reasons I came to YWAM was because of an openness to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Uh, 
if I had not made the decision I did to go to the seminary I did, which these people were all hardcore Calvinists, but they were open to the Holy Spirit, right? I'd have never met Judy. Hmm. And that would have been a bad thing. Hmm. So I would say that an openness to the Holy Spirit, um, and of course parallel to that is, is a commitment to the Bible, which goes hand in hand with an openness to the Spirit. You know, Martin Luther said that the Bible basically are God's spirit words that uh, when we're reading the Bible, what we're looking at are the very words, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's, it's the out-breath of God. God actually breathed these words out. So that's that. And the other thing I would say is an importance of, of simply confessing and repenting of sin. That uh, we've got to be willing to confess and willing to repent. Hmm. So I would say those are three things that Bulwer has taught me. Yeah, those are all really good. Yeah, the interesting thing is they're a lot easier to preach about than they sometimes. <laughs> yeah, as it is with uh, with most of, <laughs> most of ministry, right? Awesome. Yeah, the last question is just what's been inspiring you lately? Is yeah. it a, a book? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah, there's a book. Yeah? Uh, by a professor at the University of California, Davis. His name is Robert Emmons, E-M-M-O-N-S. And the name of the book is titled Gratitude Works. And in this book, he just talks about the, uh, he is a uh, tenured professor of psychology there at the University of California. And his whole job, he gets paid by the state of California to study the impact of gratitude in people's emotions and psyche and their spiritual life and everything. This is at a state university, and it is a marvelous book. Wow. Uh, so I would, uh, I would recommend that book. In fact, I've been recommending it to everybody. <laughs> and again, it's the same thing. Uh, I just wish I did it better. Judy's been practicing what this professor talks about uh, for several years, about the importance of, of journaling gratitude. And uh, yeah, I'll let her talk to you about that. Awesome. It's a big deal. And, and I just hope that I can get better at it. I try to... I try to cultivate a grateful spirit. Um, I usually am fairly good, but I need to be better. So I guess that's what I would say to you. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, just uh, real quick. Last night I was over here and you talk about the reading course and yes. just uh, reading to lead is yeah, the name of my book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, just hit on that. I was, right. I was inspired. A I, I, through the years, the Lord kind of has shown me that one of the real strategic points in ministry is, is a need to stay informed. And as you look at church history, it's people that have read that have really made a difference. And one of the kind of really focal people for me in church history, and this is John Wesley, being raised in the Methodist Church, of course, Wesley was somebody that was always talked about. But even with that, uh, Wesley was a fanatical reader and insisted that the people who were in the early Methodist movement would be readers and he actually insisted that anybody that were, were going to lead his house groups or deem themselves to be any kind of a preacher had to actually sign an agreement with Wesley that they would read five hours a day wow. and the majority of that five hours of reading was to be non-Christian literature because Wesley said that uh, he wanted his preachers to be conversant with the issues of the day. Hmm. And <clears throat> Charles Swindoll, when he took over the presidency of Dallas Theological Seminary in the 1990s when he was put in there, uh, 
in his inaugural address to these uh, professors and students at Dallas Seminary, his whole uh, thesis in the address was the importance of reading. Mm. And, and he quoted Wesley in his concluding statement to the students, and the concluding statement of Wesley was, read or get out of ministry. Wow. And so um, what I did in my book, Read to Lead, is it was a biographical study of seven important men in history. Not all Christians, uh, several presidents. I got President uh, Harry Truman, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, and Jimmy Carter. Uh, and um, just the reading habits of these people are very intimidating. Uh, Truman, when he was in high school, decided together with his closest friend, they were in a very small town in Missouri, they decided that by the and they they decided this when they were about twelve or thirteen years old together. They decided that they would read every book in their public library. That was a small little town library, but Truman said that that when they graduated from high school at the age of eighteen, that both of them had read every book in wow. their town library. And and Truman said very interesting what he said. He said including the encyclopedias, <laughs> and um, you know he was these people were just exemplary people, and uh, C.S. Lewis the same way. Uh, one of C.S. Lewis' biographers said that, that Lewis, by the, by the age of puberty, was, quote, one of the most well-read people in his whole generation. Mm. Uh, when Lewis wrote his review of English literature in the 16th century, um, he said that he literally read everything that could be found mm. that had been written in that century wow. in English. So these are the kinds of people that we look at, and we should take... A lot of people, when they read my book, they feel intimidated, right? I can understand that. But I think the other thing that we can go is go to the other direction and, and say, well, I, need, I at least need to start to kind of do what I can to drift in that direction. Right. And so I, I, would, I would say that Benjamin Carson, this uh, neurosurgeon, he was the first one that ever separated Siamese twins that they had, uh, was a young man raised in Detroit by a mother who was illiterate hmm. and uh, was just a very avid, still is, an avid reader. Wow. So, and I could have included more people in there, and Judy has talked to me, and I really need to do this. Um, Unfortunately, all seven people that I include in this book are men. There are some huge women readers in history, too. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, mm. Golden Meir, Madeleine Albright, um, people of every religious and, and, and political persuasion, women. And uh, I think I probably need to do a, a book on women, too. Yeah. I could call it Read to Lead 2, and then I could put it like the better version. <laughs> So at any rate, that's 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 read to lead, and that's that's a book that I really I love. Every three months, by the way, I give my books away on Amazon Kindle. Uh, all of my books are free every three months. Okay, awesome. For five yeah. days on Amazon Kindle. Wow. And I have seven of them on Kindle. I've written nine. I'm just in the in the process of finishing three more manuscripts, so I'll have twelve. But uh, all nine of them will be up soon. Awesome. Um, and then when I get the other three done, they'll be on as well. I'm in the process of finishing one manuscript on relationships, which is going to be fun. Uh, Great. Engagements and weddings and honeymoons and mm. all this fun stuff. So. Yeah, 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we'll make sure to put a link to your Amazon uh, yeah. site in the in the podcast notes. Yeah. But thank you so much, Ron, for for being on the show. Would you go ahead and just uh, pray for yeah. our pray yeah. for our listeners? Yeah, Lord, we do are so grateful for what you've done in our life, and we humble our hearts, recognizing that you were the one that has intervened and stepped in to bless us and to do something that's above and beyond who we are and what we do, that this is truly your sovereign action in our lives and salvation. We are so appreciative. So I do pray, Lord, for every listener to this podcast, Lord, that they will be not only challenged, but they will be encouraged. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the greatness of the salvation that's only in Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ron. Bless you, brother. Amen. If you'd like to find out more about Ron Smith, check out his website at DiscussTheology.com. A link to Ron's book, Read to Lead, is included in the podcast notes. If you enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. All links listed are Amazon affiliate links and help us out when you make purchases through them. To find out more about Doing Ministry Well, check out our website, www.doingministrywell.com, or if you have any questions, comments, or a suggestion on who we should interview next, email us at doingministrywell at gmail.com. To find out more about me, your host, check out my blog at www.jimjessbaker.com. That's www.jimjess, as in Jessica, baker.com. Doing Ministry Well.